Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to another episode of an Inside View podcast. This week is episode 7 of series 4. A special mention to Sport Indoors who have come on board as sponsors for this series. They're an online sports sponsorship platform that connects athletes with companies all around the world. The Irish-owned online marketplace has over 4,000 athletes. For more information, be sure to check out the link in the show notes. Also, a special mention to the Shire Baron Cafe in Clarney, who are also supporting the podcast for this series. On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by former Irish Grand National winning jockey, seven-time Cheltenham winner, and over 4,000 career wins to her name, Nina Carberry. In 2006, she became the first female jockey in Britain and Ireland to win a Grade 1 race. She has adjusted to life after racing by becoming the 2022 Dancing with the Stars winner and a coach on Irish Fittest Families. To find out more about Nina, be sure to check out the link in the show notes. There is no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring her on. Hi Nina, thanks for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. How are you keeping? Good, thanks Jamie. Delighted to be on your podcast. <laughs> You're very busy. You have a lot going on at the moment in preparation for all the big meetings that are coming up in the next couple of months, which we'll obviously delve into. Um, how are you, you know, how are you balancing your time, structuring your day? And you obviously have a family as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's a busy time of the year. Uh, we have a good few going to the sales for the breeze up uh, flat sales. So that's a really exciting time um, trying to pick the, the, the right sales for them. And uh, yeah, it's it's all go. And obviously uh, I have two little girls as well that have to be looked after and they go to school every day. So yeah, it's... Um, it's a chocolate block day, but um, I really enjoy it. I say it's, it's important to get some uh, some good night's sleep. Are you are you good with sleep, or what's the what's the, what's the situation? <laughs> it all depends. <laughs> it all depends what's happening the next day. Um, no, I know uh, I love my sleep, so I'm delighted. I probably normally I'd say my husband's probably gives out to me most nights that I'm asleep by nine trying to watch a movie and I'm gone <laughs> so yeah it's a case of kind of being up at six in the morning and feeding the horses so it's early starts for me so I don't last that long at night <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it must be all going in in relation to the the situation at the moment when you're you know you're training these horses for for the sales like what goes into that and, and where are they going pre-export to yeah, so uh, we buy them as yearlings in the kind of autumn, September, November, up to November time. And uh, we break them and bring them along. And uh, just after Christmas, then we kind of see where they're at. And uh, hopefully they make two-year-olds and they make the sales, you know. So at the minute, everything is touch wood, all okay. And uh, they're all coming along lovely. And yeah, but a bit of luck, they'll all make their sales good. And uh, yeah, there's one sale I haven't been to is the Dubai Breeze Up sale. So I'm really looking forward to I've got one going over there. So really looking forward to that. Are you are you want to come over yourself for it? Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, I can't wait to to have a go and see what it's all like. And uh, we have a lovely horse going as well. He's by Zoo Star out of a lovely mare. 
called Golden Spell. So um, really looking forward to bringing him over and seeing how he gets on. And is that is that in line with the Dubai World Cup? Uh, I think it's just after, or maybe just before. Um, it's the week of Cheltenham. We kind of head over, so it's the next week. Yeah, so I presume it'll be just a yeah, couple of days before the. Yeah, this yeah. it's just the, the 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 World Cup is sorry the World Cup is on the last weekend in March. So yeah, that would line up perfect. Yeah, what are the kind of the the targets that these horses need to meet in order to be at top shape for the sales? Yeah. So over in England and Ireland, their kind of um, emphasis is on speed and they're all timed breezes. Um, over in Dubai, I what I hear from last year, they weren't timed. So they're a bigger type, backward type of horse that they want kind of for the autumn end of the season. So they're the type of horses they want kind of bigger. So I think a lot of people bought um, American bred horses this year. So they're real big, strong types. So it'll be interesting to see how the market is for them this year. Um, we've gone with a, um, a zoo star. So he's been a very, very successful sire out in out in Australia. So hopefully he'll he'll fit in there. And uh, he's a big, big rangy type. So I think he might hopefully sell well there. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm looking forward to to learning more about that and delving in more when you know when the time comes close to the time over here. Um, and if if yeah, so like I suppose just when you're when you're selling that horse, like what are the you know does he have a bloodline? Is he is he from a strong bloodline that you know people could could keep an eye in 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 his pedigree up until we say until the sales. Yeah, the mayor. Uh, she's what I. What I can remember, she um she's listed place, so she's black type in her pedigree. So she she would have been placed in a black type race, and uh, she's done very well herself. She's hasn't got many folds on the ground, so um it's kind of it's a young type of pedigree. So you're waiting for it to to kick off. So it's kind of dreams are still alive with them, and uh, yeah, the the that back page is very good as well. They've got a lot of good horses in the in the pedigree as well. So. With a bit of luck, he'd breeze well and, and professional. That's the main thing you look for in a breeze, that they they put their head down and they look very professional and basically genuine. And uh, it's it's a case of showing off your horse without having them revved up too much, you know, for, for a race. But, um, yeah, they have to go and, and do it as well and behave. And, yeah, and uh, just kind of, I suppose, be be athletic about it as well. And that's, I think, what the buyers look for. Brilliant, brilliant. And just excuse my ignorance now, but is uh is, is she is is that horse going to be racing in the in the Dubai World Cup or is it just for the sales? Beforehand? Oh no, sorry, I wouldn't think so. No, uh, he probably wouldn't be named anyway. But uh, yeah, so these are all very young horses, just turned two. So they the the buttons probably wouldn't be pushed on them, kind of kind of towards the end of the season more so and mm-hmm. uh, maybe middle of the season they're quite big backward horses that they're looking for for Dubai breeds up so I'd imagine it'd be probably middle part end of the season for for all those breeds up horses oh perfect 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 so look but what I what I like to do with the guests is kind of bring it back and create a picture of the person you know we're, we're chatting to today um you come from a strong pedigree strong line of uh incredible horse racing family um and trainers as well what was it like yeah. growing up in the in the in the in the carberry household oh uh, yeah no obviously we had loads of ponies around and horses to ride and uh, my dad when he when he finished being um, a jockey he started uh, his training operation 
generation and uh he i have five brothers so four older and one younger than me and um they kind of i had all the drop me downs or the hand me downs of ponies so they were all well schooled by the time i had them so i had a brilliant ponies when i was growing up so it was absolutely brilliant fun and uh yeah had great time on them i did a bit of eventing i did a bit of show jumping and that was kind of my grounding a lot of hunting as well so it was um that was a lot of grounding for probably my national hunt career kind of ahead looking ahead and the uh, pony racing was a big a big eye opener for me as well um i got my first pony race ride when i was about 11 and i won on it and that kind of definitely gave me the bug and uh you get a few quid for it as well. So um, I think after a couple of years doing it, I was able to buy my first car and head off and ride out for a few trainers and uh, got myself set up that way. And obviously my dad was a big supporter of mine and he had a few bumper horses that I started out on. And uh, yeah, you always need someone behind you to give you the rides. There's not many trainers that will, you know, put you up unless you put in the work. So I was lucky enough that my dad... Um, had my back and gave me a few spins and uh it, it went on from there but definitely the pony racing was a brilliant um start for me and gave me a great grounding before i went and got my license when you say that you you touched on something there that you did a bit of hunting um and then pony racing like what's the benefit of of of, uh, of jockeys we say doing hunting then pony racing like you obviously develop different aspects but just i say explain it to a layman in layman terms as i say what's the benefit of, of, yeah. of doing that so hunting, you're obviously on different terrain. You're you're jumping double banks or you're jumping ditches with the horses as well. So you have to learn a kind of, um, I suppose, a stickability and uh, how to stay on without, you know, the horses are they're jumping slowly, but uh, there's a lot of times that you could come off. So you, you learn a, a balance on the horse. And uh, that's something that you do while you're out hunting. It's not something that you'd learn at home. You know, it's, um, it's a different type of... Um, it's a different it's a different way of riding as well you're riding with your whole leg as well and you're learning it from the root and uh, the grassroots of jumping and uh, that's what it's all about and then obviously the the speed then came with the pony racing and that helped me a lot as well and um, the pace and definitely the start of races how to be on the ball and don't lose any ground at the start and that was probably the most important thing I learned from pony racing was um as soon as you, you missed the star that was gone your race was gone so uh you had to really sharpen up and uh, while you were pony racing as well so that really sharpened me up for when i turned would it be would, would these horses be same breeds doing hunting and, and pony racing or would it be different type breeds sorry no uh the hunting would be kind of like a sport horse um yes yeah, so they'd be more of a kind of a jumping show jumping background or you know a draft your irish mm -hmm. cob or you're in a connemara and uh, those types whereas the thoroughbred would be kind of the pony race and end of it be mostly kind of x-race horses or horses that probably weren't good enough to get to the track that would end up pony racing oh very interesting yeah it's uh yeah. that's it's it's it, so you from a young age you got the overall grounding and you're able to develop your skills did you ever feel I suppose you were just immersing it straight away, but did you ever feel any pressure yeah. to go down that route? Or was there a time you decide, look, or thinking I might go a different way, I might, you know, do something else? <clears throat> oh, definitely. I always really just enjoyed riding out at home and uh, being competitive on horseback as well. I did a few good competitions and in, in, in the event and as well, and I really enjoyed 
that because I had a really good horse. So it was nice to compete and be competitive. And that kind of gave me the bug for that. And then, um, no, not really, not forced at all. Just kind of, it just went that way. I was quite a sporty person. Um, I did a, a lot of sport in school and um, there was a, a time where I could have got a, a scholarship for basketball out in America, but um, I choose to go to Dingle Pony Racing. So that kind of um, put an end to that. I got on the Irish team, but um, I had to go to Dingle to ride in the Pony Races. So uh, that came first <laughs> and that oh. was the end of basketball. But uh, yeah, so there was different opportunities for me along the way when I was younger, but always horses was my my number one love. And uh, I suppose I just gave it every opportunity to happen rather than not not let it happen. So, um, yeah. And then if I was successful, I'd keep going. And if I wasn't, I'd have to go to college and do all those things. But uh, yeah, I was lucky enough that I, I did start college actually after my leaving cert and um, trained to to do sports injuries and uh, I won at Cheltenham then. So that kind of put an end to all that. I, I, I finished the course, but um, I didn't really do any more on the sports injury side of it. I met a guy <laughs> a couple of weeks ago um, and he used to be a jockey back in the 60s or 70s. But anyway, long story short, chatting to him and his, his career at, in, ended because he fell off a horse but and he went down a different route. But I was telling him I was going chatting to you and he had one question, and I think this is a question that might be on a lot of people's uh, mind. Obviously, it's different now, but back then, do you feel you had a disadvantage because you're a female in um, racing? I was very lucky. I had a big name behind me. I had my brother, Paul, who was just gone before me, being champion jockey. I had Philip, my other brother, who'd who got on and won a champion hurdle, won an Irish national, won the Grand Steep de Paris in France. And a lot of experience had gone before me and they were always there to help me out. And I've always watched my brothers, um, more, more so probably Paul for the style he had. And I always tried to model myself on him while I was riding. I was horrified when I went riding after, in the pony race and you obviously don't have replays. And, uh, when I was watching back a few times after riding ro- a few bumpers for my dad, I was horrified to see how bad I looked in a finish. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so bad. I need to improve. Like I had the racing tactical racing end of it fine. Uh, the, I suppose the strategy and the tactical racing brain, but the the <laughs> the skill and the balance at the end was terrible. So I noticed that myself and no one had to really tell me. So I started working very hard on that. And I said, if I can be stylish in a finish, I can I can look good here and people might start using me more. So I started really working really hard on that. And um, back then there was a good few ladies races uh, that I got a good few rides in. And my a trainer down the road who's not far from me, Jerry Lyons started to use me in a few of them and I won I won a good few for him and I, I worked up a brilliant partnership for Jer and uh, he was very good to me at the start. He had a good few bumper horses that I could ride and a few on the flat as well. So as an amateur, that was a brilliant support and uh, yeah, he put me up even against the lads as well. So you always need someone backing you that had, the I suppose, the a lot of horses behind him as well my dad only had a handful for me to ride so I needed to spread my wings a little bit 
get into other yards and uh yeah so that's kind of where that all came from and um trying to ride as many winners as I could but definitely the ladies races helped me to show my skills and uh yeah I needed to get out there and do it myself I couldn't just write off the name I had I had to actually prove it as well so uh, the ladies races was a big help in that point yeah do you think going to, you know, going, for example, going down to your neighbours, do you think that helped you to kind of develop your own reputation and not just be under, you know, your 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 father's arm and such? Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find your own um your own path as well. And right. And and you have to make up relationships along the way with, with trainers. And I there was a lot of loyalty there between trainers that I rode for. And um yeah, I I started then my first winner was for Noel Mead. Um I didn't exactly work up a relationship straight away, but it definitely helped me for the future. I think after I won in Cheltenham, then I got Noel Mead's job for amateurs. So it was a seed that was planted and um that I just had to work up to to a level to be able to ride for one of the best trainers in the country at the time. So once that happened, um I took every opportunity I could and uh yeah, that was kind of it was a it was a massive building block all the way along. But the ladies' races was a big help, as I said, that it helped me show my skill that I didn't have to ride against the boys first, you know that kind of way. But um, but once I got that to, uh, that opportunity and the experience under my belt, I was well able, you know. So it was um something that was an, a necessity at the time. But um, as I went along, I I I didn't have to do it as much you know I didn't have to uh, show as much as I did in the lady races can you still remember look you've been a huge amount since but th- that first one is always special and especially the the history behind it winning in, in, in Cheltenham in 2005 um, first female in 18 years you know you really kind of set the standard for future generations and um especially with Rachel Blackburn now at the moment, what a phenomenal role model and an and athlete. Can you still remember that moment winning or, or was it just kind of, a, did it all happen so so quick? Uh, no, I'll always remember it. Uh, it was a, a brilliant experience and it's something that I watched from probably very young ages, Cheltenham Festival and watching Paul and Philip riding there as well, which gave me a massive bug to even be a part of it. So, to even to be walking the track to be riding in the race was uh, incredible and uh, yeah I picked up the ride kind of the week before I also had another ride uh, the next day which was going to be favourite for the bumper and I uh, was really looking forward to that kind of more so this other horse that I was riding was a four year old and uh, he didn't have he had a bit of experience but he he was 20 to 1 he wasn't obviously favoured like so I was really looking forward to the horse in the bumper so off I headed off and uh Paul, it was for Paul Nolan, so he gave me my instructions and to give him a bit of light and to let him enjoy himself. So that's what I did, and we ended up turning in after jumping the second last, and he's still on the bridle, and I'm passing them on the bridle. So it went from kind of going, I'm just enjoying myself here, having great fun riding in Cheltenham, and next thing I think I'm going to ride a winner, and uh, you had to keep my composure. Obviously, you turn you turn in, and you're nearly in front, and you kind of go. I could kick here now and ruin it all. So I'm just going to sit now until we get to the last. And uh, off we went. And he won, I think, by about 10 lengths. So it was an incredible feeling and uh, something that will always live for, with me. And, uh, yeah, it was one of the best days uh, of my career, definitely. You think kind of things kicked on from you then from that moment that, 
you know, you were you're you're reviewed in a in a complete different light, you know, that this this woman can actually do it. Definitely, yeah. And like it was important for me to look well in the finish that I didn't look like a weak rider in the finish that I look strong and I think that stood to me as well that I I was they couldn't tell me apart and that meant a lot to me that um I was riding just like another jockey not 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 a female jockey so at that um was something I always wanted to do and um I think I think a lot of the girls around that time as well was Katie as well Katie Walsh and Lisa O'Neill like there were so many girls that that rode winners straight after and uh, all looked real stylish and and strong in their finishes and I think um I was just so proud that like we broke the mold and we were we look where we are now look what Rachel Blackmore's after doing and uh, I think it's phenomenal like it's it's a skill that's uh it's quite a state a dangerous sport that we're in so there's probably not many women going to take it on but um it's great to see that we we are able to to do it when we're given the chance you touched on something you, you mentioned it a few times now but to look strong and look stylish at the finish how would, like if someone asked you that how would you describe that so um i think i've often looked at my brother paul who i would have thought um, not being biased or anything, but he probably would have been for me one of the most stylish natural riders of my generation, if not uh, generations before. So he was a person I always looked, and he was quite a, a rider that came from the flat. So he had a really um, polished, uh, balanced kind of a um, a style, and and the strength behind it as well. You wouldn't you wouldn't see him being unbalanced, and that was what he always used to do and and uh probably squeezed more than any other jockey would have done you know he probably would have kept them on the bridle a lot longer and filled the horse with a lot of confidence it was a different type of style but it was a style that I really um admired too and now there were styles like Ruby Walsh uh who's quite in between McCoy and and um my brother Paul, which I kind of I really liked as well, and I, I I aspired to as well. So there's different styles of people like, and I really kind of looked at them uh, for me. And then you kind of have to find your own in between that you can actually pull it off because you can't really. It's very it's impossible to copy someone from, you know. It's it's you have to find your own at the end of the day and what you're comfortable about. I I never forget using my brother Paul's saddle, and uh, he was using a flat stirrups uh, and I was heading out and I was using his saddle for I think I was on a lightweight over fences and I actually couldn't put the stirrups down when I was in the parade ring and I was looking at Paul and he's looking at me and I was like I can't put these down these stirrups won't go down I was riding way too short for me so I, I was like oh my god I'm gonna have to sit this out now anyway I was lucky enough it was um it was a really good jumper and he stayed straight for me and thank God it, it won. So, uh, but I said never again was I going to use his saddle. <laughs> so it's this gas, you have your own uh, length that you ride at and it's comfortable for you. But when you're out of your own comfort zone, it's very hard to copy someone if you get what I mean. If you get what I'm trying to say, it's very, um, you have your own style at the end of the day, but you can copy all you like. So would you always kind of recommend or suggest to people that, Make, create your own style or you know have your own style have your own method as such like you know like you say you can take bits from everyone but have your own identity yeah exactly yeah 
you you mentioned something earlier on about f- from a young age watching Cheltenham. Um, so you you know subconsciously, and as you got older, you probably were like consciously visualizing being there, racing, going around the ring. Um, can you remember the lead up to the to we say all the last couple of Cheltenham races, but specifically we say your last one, the last um the set you if seven Cheltenham wins. Cheltenham winners, yeah. Do you remember the, the the last winner? Um, I think it was on the fringe, and uh, he was probably one of the most, I think, iconic horses for me in my career. That he, I think we we racked up about eight or nine wins together. He was um, he was a brilliant horse to ride. Um, he was one of and the Bulgers. Um. It was just an incredible horse to be with. I rode him in a in a in a point to point as a five year old. Um, John Thomas then went on to win the Champion Hunter Chase, and I'm in Punchestown the same year. So it was it was kind of unheard of for a five year old to go on and, and do that. So he was an incredible horse for even early on. And lucky he got injured that then the next year, so we didn't see him then for another year. So it's very hard for a horse to get an injury and come back and be the same. But he did, and uh, he went to Cheltenham. John Thomas rode him, and he just didn't show the spark that he normally would have. So it was a bit disappointing. Um, so the the year after, then I think he was he was coming back again, and um, unfortunately, I think he might have got injured again. So he was plagued with a bit of injury early on. Um, obviously John Thomas was first rider in in the Bulgers at the time, and he was uh, a big unfortunate fall he had in Cheltenham um he got an awful fall and he he was paralyzed so I picked up the ride on 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 the fringe so it was a very emotional getting the ride on him and um trying to get him to win at Cheltenham so because we all believed in the horse so much and when it happened it was an absolutely surreal feeling and like for John Thomas to 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 watch as well to know that he'd he'd um he he basically had the ability to do it, and it was it was lovely for him to see him do it as well. But um, it was always in the back of my mind: John Thomas should have been riding him, you know. So it was a very emotional occasion, and um, yeah, the horse then went on and gave me my first winner in, Ch- in Aintree over over the Aintree fences. So that was an incredible feeling. Uh, that was only three weeks after he'd won in Cheltenham, and then he headed on then and one there as well so it was an incredible treble he done in win- in within i think it was eight weeks nine weeks so mm-hmm. he was uh, an incredible horse to do that and uh all over again the next year so he was uh, an amazing horse to be part of his career and uh yeah it was brilliant he's probably one of the best horses i've ever ridden and um to be a part of it and uh i suppose just the journey we all went along with him as well and like would you, you know, you were obviously visualizing Cheltenham, but would you, like, is it a natural thing for jockeys to to visualize, um, you know, visualize certain situations occurring in races, or do you just kind of go with the flow, or does that depend on the person really? As in tactics. Yeah, tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Definitely, you're very much aware. I think the bigger the race, the more. You can ride tactically because you know the horses a bit more. In bumpers, it's it's quite hard. I, that was the most races I rode in were the bumpers because you don't really know the form of the race. But the more form you know, the more 
you can analyze the race a bit more and and what jockeys kind of or what horses are going to go forward and what horses are going to hold up so you kind of have a bit more of an idea what horses jump well and not to follow certain horses and they jump a bit right they jump a bit left so, so you have an idea in your head type of horses I rode against and on the fringe you would have an idea where you want to sit and where you want to be so he was quite a horse that traveled really well so you could be wherever you wanted to be on him so if you kind of got it wrong it was your own fault because he'd get you where he wanted to be so um it was yeah it's you always have a tight a kind of like a plan in your head before going out but sometimes a horse can fall in front of you and you end up last and you have to ride a different race altogether so but the I think the thing I think preparation is definitely a key for any jockey to do like you know you need to be prepared you need to know what's in front of you and um, yeah being prepared is probably the biggest asset you can be as being a jockey how do you go about building a connection with a horse like you know would you have had to ride that horse or been yeah would you have had to been open the horse before you even you know ride it in a in a race or could you hop up on a horse out of nowhere and just um, hope for the best it all depends um mostly if you are riding for a different trainer like my my trainers at the time i rode a lot a good i rode a lot for an old mead and i was in there three days a week so i know most of the horses inside out and riding them work you know what way they'd have to be ridden and if something was a bit excitable you'd drop them out or whatever so any horse I was riding for Noel I would have known them before getting up on them in, in a race which is a is a massive plus because you know them straight away and you know what way they're going to be ridden and as well the same for end as well so all those horses I would have ridden for them I would have known them inside out and uh yeah so then you have the trainers that just book you on the day and you just arrive and you have to kind of go go with what the trainer says and what in your you have to listen and and really you can't go and wing it really because you have to kind of learn on the job and 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 like you you're kind of finding out about them really kind of from where go when you're legged up on them and uh off you go down to the start and you have to ride the race that your trainers after telling you so um and then after that then it all depends what way the race is going to go and you're kind of figuring out your horses as you go along so yeah, you kind of sometimes have to wing it, but uh, you're you're hoping that you, as you said, you build a connection with the horse and you get on straight away. And that's really important that you um, can settle the horse for more go. Yeah, because if you have a horse that's too keen, they're not going to get home. So you need to find a knack very quickly how to relax a horse then at the start or, you know, they need to have um, the most relaxed person on them to to get them to the finish line is, I suppose, yeah, to keep all their energy until till the finish. Did you ever did you ever experience that over your four hundred and twelve wins? Um just been hopping up on a horse and having that connection or having to rode the horse before. Did I ever experience doing it? Yeah. Just been just just been yeah, booked um, on the day. Oh, plenty of times, yeah. Yeah. So you really um you you really you're really confined in, in your jock or in your trainer and and your instructions that you're given. And uh, and sometimes you might have ridden them before, but he might have had a few runs. So you could be watching back or I even ask the jockey before how how did he ride or what did you think? And, you know, you're really kind of going on past experience and uh, what what the, what the trainer tells you. But there has been plenty of times that you go and you don't really get on the horse, you know, and uh I probably should have done this and should have done that. And you hope to get the ride again if they've nearly won, you know, and um, 
a lot of times can work out that way but uh, you're learning on the job so that's kind of like a risk as well when a trainer puts you up for, for the first time what was your experience of weight cutting because you know you hear outrageous so- stories um of jockeys what, what what was your experience of that or did you did you have to go through it definitely yeah um not so much uh, in the jumping game but uh when i was starting off a lot of r- ladies races um I had to do quite light weights uh, early on in my career because I was claiming seven. So it's claiming seven. If you don't know, it's it gives you an opportunity to claim seven pounds off the horse's weight. So it it's, mm. I suppose it's um, it gives you a chance against riders that have ridden out their claim, and uh, you you become more valuable to a trainer than if you ride well. So, um, yeah, back then I was claiming seven off quite light weights. So. I had to really look after but there was one particular occasion I was riding in France and um, I was quite worried about my weight the whole week because I think I had to lose about six pounds so I was quite a fit person at the time so I hadn't much to lose so I was really watching it and doing it the completely wrong way um, not drinking didn't eat anything and totally dehydrated and I think Johnny Murth has seen me getting on the plane I think he must have been riding at the same meeting and he he just looked at me. He says, sit down here. Now you, he said, you need to get a bit of something into you. And I was like, why? I can't. He said, yes, you can. So he was explaining to me, obviously, on the way over, uh, you need to keep yourself hydrated. You can't just go without drinking. So anyway, I got through the weight, but it was something that always stuck, stuck with me that you have to keep drinking. You can't uh, just not eat and not drink. You have to have something in your body. So you do realize what weight you can be then, you know, uh, you have to be powerful as well. You can't just get up on a horse and be completely weak. So that was something that I learned as well, that you have to know what your bottom weight is or what you're, you're the strongest at, because there's no point getting up on a horse that you're completely weak, you know? So that was something that I learned very early on in my career. Following on from that, what you told you about learning that you need to drink. Um, so you would have seen, the evolution and the growth, whether it's positive or negative, of uh, you know, of technology on on horse racing. So, what what's it like nowadays compared to what it was, say, back in your day? I say there's probably, you know, nutritionists and and everything in, involved in teams. Yeah, there's so much more help now. Um, as an amateur, I suppose I I probably didn't have as much as a as a professional had anyway. But definitely now, there's definitely nutritionists. There's there's help there's people in the gym now that are in race that are there to help your fitness and to be as strong as you can without putting on bulk and they give you regimes that you can keep your fitness up without building up muscle as well so yeah it's important that that our condition and our strength is looked after because it's something that wasn't there in the early days and uh, we like we literally just walk in from the car and get up on the horse you know it's it doesn't work like that anymore we have to have our bodies um warmed up now and i think a lot more jockeys understand it like if we have a fall and we're not warm and we're not supple we're going to get injured so i think um that kind of came across a lot and i think gun shields came in as well along the way like it only came in the last 10 15 years and that was a big help for concussion as well so even the helmets have come a long way since um, I started riding. And uh, yeah, it's the whole, the whole 
I think it's become more professional, to be honest, even though it is a professional sport, but he has it definitely has we're getting well more looked after. Why didn't you ever become excuse my ignorance now again here? Why did you ever become um a professional or was that always was that was there an opportunity to go down that route or or what what's the diff- I know the difference is you're getting paid, but were you still if you were probably still effectively living a professional life, were you? Yeah, definitely. I was putting just as much, much work in as a professional, if not more. Um, yeah, definitely. I When I had my first winner at Cheltenham, I definitely thought about it. I had a £5 claim, which is still quite valuable. And um, But at the time, there was an, like, an era of jockeys that were just incredible. There was my brother Paul, there was Ruby, there was Barry Garrity, there was Davy Russell, there was Puppy Power, there was Tony McCoy, there was Richard Johnson, there was about 20 jockeys I can name off that are all top class jockeys and uh, it was, they were so hard to compete against but brought up the level of every other jockey around them because of that. So you always strove to be as good as them and try to be better. So um. It was so hard because they all had probably all the top top trainers. They all had the good jobs. And it was just, I suppose one day I asked Paul, I said, do you think I should turn? And he was like, I think you should turn, but I don't know where you should go, he said to me. Because Noel, Noel Mead had Paul as first jockey. And then he had like Niall Madden, who was going to turn from amateur to professional. And he was going to slip into second or third jockey as well to know so I was going to be probably fourth jockey so I wasn't going to get very much at all and I suppose I always wanted to ride and tell them and keep the rides up and as a amateur I was always going to get those rides so that was kind of where my decision came from and I was guaranteed riding in Cheltenham every year if I stayed amateur and um, I was quite lucky I worked up a great relationship with Enda Bulger and John and JP McManus and they supported me big time even in professional races around Cheltenham so the cross-country race in particular and uh, yeah they could have easily put up a professional jockey but they put up me so I was always very grateful for that and um, yeah it was something that um, I could have but at the time I don't think it was the right time and um, I've I've always been grateful for the opportunities I got around Cheltenham because of it. So would you have been working full-time in addition to, you know, being a jockey or, or, or were you always effectively working on, you know, in the stables or on the farm? I was always in, yeah. I left college after I won in Cheltenham and finished my college course. And from then on, I was just going to give it the best chance I could to, to try and work out. Obviously, I get paid. I got paid along the way riding out. And um, yeah, it was it was something that, it made a living, it didn't make me rich, but it gave me a lovely uh, career and uh, I will always be grateful for it. And um, yeah, it was probably one of the nice to get out and not get too injured and uh, be in one piece after it as well. So um, yeah, no, it was it, it was a great uh, career to have. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm probably looking back, it would have been nice to turn, but I, I felt at the time it wouldn't have been for me. Yeah, well, that's fair enough, especially if you're going to be slotting in as third or fourth jockey as opposed to being amateur and you get more races when you're amateur and, and if people were there to support you when you're amateur. So it, it kind of, yeah. in the circumstances at the time. Um, Two more questions in relation to the, the horse racing and, and then we'll obviously bring you on to, to Dancing with the Stars. But 
<clears throat> Excuse me. What do you think an aspiring jockey needs to make it in today's game? Oh, they need to be dedicated. If they don't put in the work, they are going to get left behind. If, yeah, basically that. And um, what I said before is preparation. Any young jockey, if it like, I've had a few young jockeys ride for me in a few races. I only have one one mare that was running for me on the track last year. But if any jockey came out to me and uh, they didn't really know who was going to be in front or they didn't really know what way the race was going to go, I'd be kind of like, you didn't prepare. But thank God I didn't have a jockey to come out to me like that. So, but they need to be prepared. They need to know. They need to know the form of the race. They need to know what horses are going to go forward to to have a kind of realistic idea of what way the race is going to go. So they can have some type of plan going into the start. And uh, yeah, main thing is dedication and being prepared for each race they ride in because if they're not prepared. They they won't ride to their best of their ability. I don't think anyway. And on the on the flip side of that, you know, what do you think a trainer needs, you know, to be successful in the in the modern era? Trainer needs a lot. Um, you can come and bring the horse to the to the races and um have the horse in, in a in a in a great spot, but if they don't look after their owners, they're gonna get left behind as well. So the main thing is be able to it's it's an I I still am trying to get my head around trainers. Like they have to be the most skillful, and <laughs> they have to have balls of steel, basically, because it's the hardest. I think it's the hardest game that we're in is the training game, and um, you get so many disappointments along the way. You know, horses. You need a lot of numbers to make it work, and when you only have a handful, you have to make that handful work, and. Uh, Horses get injured and there's disappointment. There's probably more disappointment than there is than there is ups. So um yeah, being a jockey, obviously you're getting off them and you're you're walking away, but a trainer has to deal with the situation and um deal with the disappointed owners. And yeah, it's um it's not an easy game, but they have to have the mentality for it, I think, and um the mental frustration of it and uh yeah, have all the have all those skills as well, and still look after the owner at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of skills needed in being a trainer. When you close that chapter on horse racing, been a jockey, I know you're still involved in the in the horse racing game. Can you remember what it was like? Did you, you know, was there a period of loss of identity? Most definitely, Jamie. Yeah, um, I was down in. I worked five years in Aidan O'Brien's, um, probably five of the most incredible years watching the master at work. And uh, yeah, it was incredible. I learned a lot. And uh, But at the time, I was riding, obviously, as well. And it was coming towards the end of my career. And I had my first little girl, Rosie, who was just turning one towards the end of the season. And it was kind of coming to a crossroads for me, whether I'd go again for another season or... I want to step back and and push my own business forward, which I had a few horses on the side buying and selling, but I wanted to drive it on more. And this was, I wanted to finish on a high, and I I wanted to finish still being kind of I suppose in the winners' enclosure and not being not being not used. You know, people wanted to still use me as a rider, and uh, so that's the way I wanted to go out, and I wanted to go out at Punchtown Fest, which was the end of the season as well. So. 
yeah, once uh, that was all finished, uh, it was very hard to watch the horses kind of as the week progressed into my retirement winning and felt felt like I was out just injured. It wasn't that I was um I was completely gone. I felt that I felt that guttingness that when I'd seen the horse mid ride win. So that took a while to leave me. Um yeah, that was very frustrating watching it, but I knew it was still in the back of my head, this is the right decision. You're doing you're doing the right thing. And yeah, I wanted a family and I basically I needed to have a new career that I could have work life balance and be able to see the girls I have now and, and drop them off to school and, and be in their lives basically. And and that that was the route I wanted to take. And it was just hard initially to get over it. But um yeah, that adrenaline buzz was kind of gone. But uh it was a case of my business wasn't there for me quick enough. You know, it was I was a bit impatient that I um it, it took a while for my business to, to get going. But once that's up and running now I don't really I don't miss the riding at all. I obviously ride every day, but not competitively in races. So, um, yeah, it's something that it did take a while. And I do relate to people that are is finished sport and they feel that way. I did, I did feel that. What was the time frame or ballpark? What was the time frame between you, you know, hanging up your your boots for all the better word, um, and dancing with the stars? I think it was about two years. Was it two and a half years? Maybe more. How, how did yeah, that come so, about? <laughs> so as I as I was kind of back, I got back going with my business. I I felt that I wanted to come back into the public eye again a little bit and get going, kind of doing different things. And my my husband Ted um has has had a friend that he worked with before, and he 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 he's a He's a sports agent, so he got me in touch with Trevor Tromley and uh, Sport Endorse. He's Kerry Sport Man. Endorse. So, <laughs> um, he was on board, and yeah, he he did. He found it hard because I was out of the business for probably nearly a year and a half. So it was unfortunate for me that I wasn't on the ball when I when I um, when I finished riding that I didn't have him on board. But um, he got me on to Dancing with the Stars, and that kind of gave me a new identity i think as well um not just from racing but um it was it was probably probably one of the best things i've done uh for for my my profile and uh it was great to get me back out of there again and to be honest it was lovely to feel that competitiveness again and uh, while i was while i was doing it as well i really enjoyed it looking back probably not at the time i wasn't enjoying it as much it, it was a lot of work it was a lot of hard work but looking back on it i was delighted i put the work in I believe you you were only getting about four or five hours sleep max each night. You were up early. You were doing. Can you give us a yeah. brief overview of the schedule? It's, it's very intense. I remember. Yeah, um, yeah. We um, you start you start training in December with your partner, and um, your first show was in the first week in January. So it was um, six weeks of preparation for your first dance, and then you you kind of prepare. You prepare for your second dance as well along that route but you're mainly preparing for your first dance so if you can it's a it's a case of getting your head around um i suppose performing to ireland and not getting the jitters about it and uh yeah so that was probably one of the hardest things get my head around um 
the fear of falling or the fear of making a fool of yourself and not letting yourself go. I think that's the worst thing to do is not let yourself go. And I figured that out kind of along the way that I need to go for this or else this is going to look stupid. So, um, yes, that kind of happened along the way. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the schedule was very intense. I obviously had the horses on the go um, the same kind of setup as this year, horses going to the breeze ups as well. So that all had to get looked after in the mornings and up early, six o'clock start, finish probably around half 12, one o'clock and head off, pick the girls up, see them for about an hour and then feed the horses for the evening and then head off for about five, six hours training in the evening, every single evening for about uh, four months. So Jesus. I was probably as light as I've ever been. And I should have probably ridden on the flat after because <laughs> it could have had a good, it would have definitely been two stone lighter. I've never been as fit in my whole life as doing dancing. So I was an incredible experience. I probably wouldn't have done a week more because my ankles literally blew up like elephants, but uh, it was an incredible experience. What was the self-talk like Nina going through all those weeks you know obviously I suppose the, naturally your, the the confidence will kind of grow as you're, you, you, you kind of you're positive and you're sure you can do this but we say the first couple of weeks what was the self-talk like yeah it was hard to be honest I had a really good uh, dance partner in Pasquale La Rocca he'd won a previous before he had a lot of experience on, on, under his belt so I was thank god I had uh, him behind me and giving me all the advice and um, encouragement and I probably wouldn't have won it or wouldn't have gone as far if it wasn't for him as well he'd he'd um he'd a brilliant knack of teaching me and we both probably learned along the way how quickly I could learn because as you get into the third week you only have a week to learn each dance so the pressure is on completely to get your dance to a standard that you have to dance to and perform so there's a lot to have to be worked on within those weeks and the pressure is on and I suppose it took me a long time to even relax and enjoy it I think probably maybe the fifth week I started enjoying it a bit and kind of relaxing because the process was there and um, I understood the process then and uh, once you can get your head around no this will be okay by the end of the week I get this you know it'll be like the other times it'll be fine but it, did, it took a lot out of me and it's a lot of mental willpower you need as well because you can often just say this is too hard and just give up and there's a lot of times I did but I didn't <laughs> and uh, yeah I wanted to give up so many times but um, there were so many people keeping me in to vote me in and uh, I had to keep going for them as well. Did you have some kind of um, saying or, or method or are you to do something to kick you into gear you know that look this is you know it's kind of to kick you into gear when you went into the room to to do the dance to practice the dance especially when you had one week that's that must have been quite yeah. stressful yeah like <clears throat> i i've often just whatever i've done i've always i wanted no regrets and uh i didn't want to look back on this going i'm not going to do this again like this is the only chance i get like i've only one chance of doing this they're never going to ask me back again so i need to give this everything and um in fairness to my husband Ted was brilliant as well like you know there's a lot going on like you know there's lots of work at home to be done and the girls and you know he took a lot of pressure off my my shoulders as well so once that kind of I got that out of my head that you know the girls are missing me or you know it was all those things the horses and uh 
Yeah, so he took a lot of pressure off me. And once that happened, I think everything just focused on the dancing. And uh, once everything was okay at home and the horses were well, my, my focus was completely on the dance. So once that happened, then my... I suppose I was getting I was getting quicker at learning the dances and uh, yeah so the main thing was that I had no regrets and just never give up because um, you'd always regret that and uh, you'd have to, you didn't give it your best so that's the main thing and heading out on the dance floor I'd always say yeah and won't any regrets now just give it your best and then you know you can't regret it. How did your experience as a jockey help you with Dance with the Stars? Oh, massive, I'd say. It was the dedication that I put into to racing and I was used to putting that work in, that work ethic. The focus um, was probably a big thing for me at the start because obviously being focused in a race is one thing, but that's only for three, four minutes, five minutes yeah. max. And then when you go to dance with a partner, you have to be focused for five hours. So that was real tough and uh, you can't be thinking of something else. So that was really a thing that I learned along the way. And that was something that I'll always remember that I was able to do that, you know, and uh, it's it's something that I admire in dancers that they're able to focus for so long because cause once you miss a step, you're gone for the next step, you're gone. So it really wrecks you for the whole dance. So it's something that you have to keep focused for so long. And uh, yeah, definitely the preparation as well is is key as well. If we didn't put all the work in, we wouldn't have been prepared for every Sunday. So yeah, all those things that um helped me. And the relationship as well, the relationships that you build up with your trainers, you have to build up, a, I had to build up a relationship with my partner, Pasquale, who I'd never met before. And uh, you're basically chucked into a dance floor and you have to get on with this person. So it's been able to get on with people and get the job done as well. What do you think helped you <clears throat> say the mental aspect of it, getting that focus, clicking you into gear for four or five hours? Yeah, I, I think it's competitiveness as well. Like it was competitive. Like I'm not, not that I was competitive against any of the other contestants. It was my own competitiveness against me that I <clears throat> wanted to be the best I could at my own dance you don't know what everyone else's dance was going to be like so I just wanted to make our dance as good as I could and as you know as probably as entertaining as well as we could so that was something that um yeah that that I really kind of focused on as well how would you compare winning at Cheltenham to <laughs> winning Dancing with the Stars uh it's it's a totally different feeling and Listen, Cheltenham was a dream for the whole of my life to ride a winner there. So um, we won't take that away. But definitely Dance with the Stars was something that that over four months that was so mentally challenging, so hard on the body. And for it to come out and then win it was something that I never, ever thought would happen. And it was amazing that how if you put your mind to something that it actually it went on and it went well and uh i think i took each week week by week i didn't i didn't look at the whole dance with the stars as this is my goal i was just every sunday was my goal and uh getting to every sunday and not making a fool of myself was my goal so i don't know what you put into that but uh there was a long term goal in 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 the in cheltenham and that was a dream come true Whereas the Dance with the Stars was, um, I think, 
I was so happy for, for myself to to go and achieve what I achieved there as well. It's a totally different experience, but I'm equally as um I think equally it's just it's just been it's just been great for me as well at this part of my career and this part of my life. And bringing on into Irish fitted families. What was that experience like? That was like you, you, that must have been completely different. You know, it must have been great yeah. just to experience something different. Yeah, no, that was kind of more fitting for me. I think the fittest family is something that I've always watched and a brilliant pro Irish program. And uh, I actually competed in it with my sister-in-law, Katie and Ruby and their brother-in-law, uh, Killian. So it was brilliant to compete in, in, in it with them and uh, feel that I don't, I suppose that team spirit and uh, working together and uh, that really gave me the bug for that and lucky enough I got offered to be a coach in, in it and uh, it was absolutely brilliant experience uh, working alongside David Sherald and Donegal Callum was there Donegal sorry <laughs> yeah Donegal and Anna Geary so it's um, it's a uh, it was an incredible experience and uh, it was great working with all the different families as well, different types of families, young, quite older. It was just, uh, yeah, it was just brilliant. And to f to watch all their different coaching styles as well, I learned a lot along the way. And uh, hopefully next year we'll get back at it again and uh, we're a bit more wiser as well with the tactics. Brilliant, brilliant. The tactics, I love that. Never, never change from, yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> from, no, from the jockey. No, <laughs> definitely not. When... We we spoke about when you retired in the post career, and we touched on sport endorse or <clears throat> any agency like that. But from from what you've experienced, what are the benefits engaging with a company like Sport Endorse to help you since post post retirement? Oh, massive, um, massive! I never thought I'd get the opportunities to do what I've done up until now. Like not in a million years would have even taken on Dancing with the Stars. Only that Trevor pushed me and said, you'll be grand. We won't be bothering you. You'll only have to do 12 hours a week. And not the notion that I know going into it that I had to do more than 40 hours a week on it. So 12 hours a week. He pulled the wool over my eyes there, but <laughs> we did it. It lasted a bit longer than we thought. But um, yeah, and then like, obviously he was the connection into to the fittest families. And uh, yeah, and he gets me, I, I love doing talks as well and uh, so he gets me a few of them as well along the way so trying to get better at that as well and, and talking to a group of people I suppose motivational and uh, yeah just trying to inspire people to 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 do well and uh, yeah I love doing all that as well so he's he's a brilliant to connect me with people that way. Brilliant. It kind of, and it's uh, in addition to that, you know, it, it get it connects you, but it also probably gives you like post career assistance, you know, advice and guidance as to, you know, what you can do. Yeah, like he's got a lot of contacts as well, and he's a lot of he's a lot of platforms as well that people come on, and it's great that I can advertise me myself on his platform, you know, and uh, it's. Um, it's great. It's a it's a great way of getting yourself back out there again and having your profile. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We're coming towards the end now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'd like to kind of delve into a few little things before we, we close it off. On a day-to-day -day basis, how do you deal with difficult situations, you know, when anxiety or, or worry might settle in? Have you a release mechanism? 
yeah that's one thing i do i i would suffer a little bit with anxiety you're always worried you know getting your horses back to the sales and i hope this works out and there's not a day goes by that you don't feel a bit of anxiety but i do have a great husband he listens to me a lot <laughs> i'd say i wreck his head but he's been brilliant backbone for me throughout my career uh we've been he's been with me since a long time probably since just before I had my first Cheltenham winner and uh, he's been there from the start. So he knows me inside out and he knows um, he's Ruby's how to brother, get me it? out of a rut. Pardon? He's Ruby's, he's Ruby's brother. brother. Yeah. Ruby's brother. So he knows exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that he knows the industry inside out, but he does. He does like other things as well. He's not just obsessed with horses. So um, it's great. He's a great way of getting me out of a rut and, uh, you know, he's um he's probably my backbone and keeps me going. And uh, yeah, uh, anxiety is, is probably one of the hardest things to deal with uh, being a sports person or being in any type of business as well or being worrying about, uh, you know, meeting your targets or meeting any type of, um, you know, you have to get things sold as well. So, yeah, there are things you will struggle with, but um, I'm lucky I have good people around me and a uh, support system that way that uh, if you are in a rut, you can try and get yourself out of it. So that's the main thing is keep driving forward and not not looking back too much. So that's probably my motto. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, you touched on it a few times and I, I, I should have just asked a bit more about it, but what is your business now? On, on, is it selling horses or, or, or what exactly is it? Yeah, so yeah, the, the business model is kind of buying and selling, trading horses. So bring them along as young, kind of buying them as young stock <clears> and... Uh, breaking them uh, or else bringing them from a foal stage for National Hunt onto a three-year-old store and they haven't been broken. So you're basically mining them from as they were foals to when they're a tree and selling them on that way. So yeah, there's um there's different aspects of each, you know, National Hunt and flat. So the flat is kind of a, a six-month module and the, the National Hunt is quite a longer three-year thing. But um we have a few things We've a few we've a few horses on the go, so hopefully we can sell a few good ones along the way. Brilliant, brilliant. And um you come across a lot of elite jockeys and business people and elite athletes and overall through through different events you attend and, and different things you're involved in. Do you if you had to summarize all of them, do you think there's a common team or do they all have something in common? Um I look at JP McManus and I think he is probably one of the most successful businessmen I know. And um, I think he has a big, he has, a, he has an, he's an amazing way of, he's a knowledge of a lot of things. You know, he's not just obsessed by one business or one, he kind of knows what's going on in anything. So he's something that I admire and look at and, and, you know, it's not just horse racing we should be obsessed with. I should I should be broadening it, like, you know, and, and looking at different things as well to and you never know what's what's next, you know. So um he's something that I always he's somebody I always look at look at. And another person would be Ruby, who has most successfully probably for me has changed from a jockey to being probably one of the best analyze analyzing people looking at racing. He's probably for me and and probably for the normal person watching racing, he he's a massive talent and showing how a horse 
has gone from start to finish in a race and and saying it in a way that someone that wouldn't know about racing can understand. So for me, that's mm-hmm. a talent, and he's brought that from from a talent from riding at a very very probably one of the best levels of all time to being able to get across what he's um trying to say on telly as well, which is um he has a talent for that as well. So I think he's probably one of the most dedicated and prepared people on telly at the minute because he's brought all that dedication from when he was riding to to the telly and um to what he's doing now. So they're two people that um have always probably inspired me um after riding as well to be better that way. And do you think they've you know, do you think all these successful people would have something in common? You know that maybe they're dedicated or they have wide wide amount of knowledge or they're relatable to to people from different yeah. backgrounds. Well they they both definitely I'd say they never they never they're always on the ball they're always watching it's something that they live for you know they're always waiting for the next opportunity or you know they're like Ruby be always watching racing and and probably analyzing it in his head but wouldn't be you know he wouldn't be talking it to you about it he'd have it in his head already so it's something that um that you you only realize when you meet them what they're like and uh yeah it's something that they definitely like i'm i'm sure jp looks at every business and uh he's thinking the whole time you know and um even he he gives back to so much as well like Mm -hmm. in the county of limerick how much he's done for them and how much the county's come on from his support as well so he he's just got a different view on things and it's just so admirable as well Nobody knows what the next couple of days will be like, but in an ideal world, um, where do you see the next five years? What do you see them looking like? <laughs> I hope I've sold a lot of Group 1 horses. That's all I hope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, no, obviously I'd love my business to expand and, and get bigger. Um, that's what I try for. And um, obviously like to keep my 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 profile up and running as well and and keep inspiring people as much as I can and um yeah help help young riders come along as well young girls as well and um try and get them opportunities as much as I can and uh yeah just the next five years trying to drive on the business as much as I can brilliant and it's a great note to see that you know there's a lot more women get involved in sport and staying in sport. You know, obviously a lot of them would do when they're young, but staying and progressing in sport. You know, um, what's your feeling on that? Brilliant. Uh, even the rugby, Irish rugby team, the Irish football team, like like ten years ago, we wouldn't have seen them on telly. You know, and now they they're starting to become household names because they're on telly. So this is great exposure for them. Um. We probably one of the best runners in like the whole world over two hundred meters now. You know, um, we've got great sports people, and um, it's it's brilliant to see all these women doing so well as well. So, it's brilliant that their government is, is supporting them and giving them the exposure that they need. And uh, as as you said, like Rachel has done so much for Irish racing, and hopefully we'll see a back, like a lot of women coming along and having a go and not, not, not trying because they think they can't make it. So it's, she's, she's broken every record that can be broken. So it leaves a gap for everyone to come and fill it in. So hopefully we'll see a good few more girls having a go. It's, it's probably like the carpenter kind of thing. Like it's probably not 
every girl's dream but uh, hopefully a few girls will ha- take it on and, and be given the skills to to go and fulfill their dreams so it leaves an opening for someone to come along and follow in Rachel's footsteps brilliant what are two daily non-negotiables oh for me um, <laughs> um breakfast definitely breakfast and that has to be had and probably chocolate throughout the day keeps me going <laughs> After that, then uh, you could probably negotiate anything with me, but definitely I need my chocolate and my breakfast. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it, love it, love it. So we'll, <laughs> we'll wrap it up now on this one. Do you have a motto you live by? Yeah, I suppose it's no regrets. Um, Never ring the bell. Never, never give up. Just because you've been knocked down, you have to keep getting up and go again. So there's no point having regrets about something that you didn't have a right go at. So that's my motto, don't give everything your all and then you'll have no regrets brilliant brilliant look i'll, uh, I'll wrap it up there uh nina thanks so much for taking time out because i know you've uh, you've got on and uh, i really appreciate you coming on inside view podcast and best luck with everything going forward thanks very much jamie cheers thanks for having me that is all from us on this week's episode i hope you enjoyed the interview with nina Again, if you'd like to know more about Nina, be sure to check out the link in the show notes. We'd ask you to rate, review and tell your friends and family about the podcast and be sure to click subscribe if you haven't done so already. It makes a huge difference. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember Cret Unet Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.